All right, welcome to this week's roundtable. Um, I'm back from vacation, so there's a lot to process and got a glow about you. Yeah, right. Got some <laughs> California sun, and um, so yeah, so we're we're back. Uh, it was fun catching up on the podcast last week with Jake, yeah, and Nathan Kalipek. That, that was pretty cool. That was a really fun yeah. conversation. So, and of course, they have a great studio, and they have all these mics, and yeah, like, we're back to our <laughs> low quality. <laughs> macbook back home yes all right <laughs> so what i want to talk about is just just yeah what you've been processing what you've been thinking about uh you just finished the harry potter series and uh i want to i want to yeah. ask you about that yeah i so i um when harry potter was kind of the hot thing coming out and everybody's waiting for the next one to come out um, we were in a stage of life as parents and into the, I guess, Christian subculture at that time that pretty suspicious of Harry Potter and teaching our kids mm -hmm. magic and everything. So kind of missed that era as it was, you know, rolling out. I, I do think my kids eventually probably watched the movies or most of the movies or whatever, but just, just missed that culture. Mm -hmm. Um, so everybody around here talking about Harry Potter and I thought, I'm just going to listen to it. So did I listened to the whole series in a pretty short amount of time because I actually found them to be a fascinating read and uh, I actually listened to them rather than read them and the the guy that does it on Audible did it. It was as hmm. compelling to listen to his artistry of being able to read with such uh, color, full color, like in his voice, taking on all the characters. It was it was like an art form. You know hmm. what I mean? It's like watching a great athlete or, or watching a great musician and the art form of him being able to read to me in such a compelling wow. way was a, as compelling as the, the mm -hmm. books themselves. But I got called out by a, a couple of people. So I'm going to be kind of talking to everybody here. Uh, maybe in answer to, I, I got called out by a couple of very good uh, folks here at Veritas for from the stage, from my preaching, dropping Harry Potter in a positive way without, any kind of qualification on that, you know, and I do want to say I get it one any parent that is Encouraging reading aware of what their children are reading mm -hmm. interacting with their children of reading mm -hmm. They have my vote Every single time mm -hmm. so I have no desire to encourage parents mm -hmm. to let their kids read Harry Potter or right. whatever Right. I'm not on a pro Harry Potter, mm -hmm. you know, yeah I get it. There's, there's good reasons, especially just age appropriateness, because as you get older with the children of the story, the age appropriateness ages with them. Mm. And so by the time you get to the last book, there are definitely age appropriate things, not sexually more violence, mm. the loss of loved ones, some different things that are that increasingly mm. require a maturity to go through. But I would also say here, here's my, Here's my pitch. Um, I now, as a parent and grandparent, am not nearly as worried about fantasy literature that includes things like witchcraft as much as I'm worried about a world that is demythalized, that is um, material, that leaves no room for the supernatural. Mm. That is what our children are growing up in, is a world that dismisses supernatural. Everything's materialist, everything's natural, um, hard sciences. Mm. Anything that can 
create imagination, anything that can create within our children's minds, this idea that everything that we can just see and touch is not all that there is. Again, even in Narnia world, or is there something beyond that wardrobe? Hmm. In my mind is already beginning a gospel opportunity to talk about the invisible God, to hmm. talk about the story behind the story. Hmm. And so, and then the very real themes through, you know, even, even though uh, JK Rawlings does not claim to be a Christian, right? the narratives that creation keeps giving us just as image bearers come out in beautiful ways that honestly make easy bridges into the gospel narrative story mm. that we have explicitly wow. in the Bible. So those, those come out as most creative people do. They just bump up against mm. the true themes, God authored themes. Right. And so I, again, that's, that's as much of an endorsement as I would give it is don't I now, if I could speak back to, parent Jeff Dodge when those things mm. were coming out, I think I'd put my arm around him and say, why don't you read them with your kids in an age appropriate way mm. and uh, take advantage of those themes. And wow. if you choose otherwise, totally respect that. You'll always, I'm not going to talk to your kids about mm -hmm. it. You know, yes. Yep. Wrap them in brown paper and hand them to your kids. I'm not right. pro Harry Potter, but I'm certainly uh, a new fan and, and, would want to have that conversation with parents. What impact did it have on you reading those? Man, one is just, you know, um, the richness of good characters, fictional characters, when even the best of the characters are not purely heroic and noble, that they also have their Achilles heels and weaknesses. Hmm. Um, I guess what I'm talking about is total depravity, total depravity that, that all of us are touched at every part of who we are by sin. Hmm. Right. Not that all of us are as bad as we could possibly be. That's not what total depravity means. It's just the admission that every part of all of us is touched by sin and, and rebellion. So even the most noble of characters, you see the touch hmm. of sin. And conversely, it speaks of common grace. Even the most uh, terrible characters, there are moments of empathy and sympathy and, and they were at a point and made terrible reckless decisions terrible reckless mm. decisions but you have a strange uh compassion for mm. even some of the most dark of characters in there wow and that is a healthy thing right that mm. that's life <laughs> well it's right? so it's so interesting because i'm i'm reading uh the coddling of the american mind mm. And he talks about how... What a convergence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these two, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because he talks about one of the problems, he focuses on three untruths of, of our, this generation, which is, uh, he doesn't focus as much on millennials, but Generation Z, more 1995 or after that, yeah. all they've known is, you know, really iPhones. and, right. and the I-generation. Yeah, the I-generation. Yeah. And he talks about, um, I think the untruths are, uh, number one is like, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Um, he has one on emotional reasoning and how like always trust your emotions. And the third one, which I what connects to this is um, the seeing everyone in terms of good and evil. Yeah. So binary. Yes. Like a binary thinking where there's like, I, and cause everyone right. sees themselves as the good. So right. There's good people, there's bad people. And the good people's job is to silence and cancel and shut down the bad people, man. And both sides, 
do that to each other instead of being able to hold two thoughts at the yes. same time. Yes. That I can see how this person has some flaws. I can see this, but I don't cast them off as Hitler, you know, and totally. throw them into oh, the, word. you know, uh, those categories. Being able to see, and I, I think as you're talking about yeah. that, that's what I think about is yeah. under, having compassion for someone who's like evil. Yeah. And, and I think he quotes in, uh, in this Connelly of the American Mind, he quotes, quotes the Solzhenitsyn, the line of good and evil mm. goes right through the heart of every mm. human. Mm. So good. It's right here. It's not so out good. there, good, bad. It's, it's in me. I, I think that. And then I think one of the other things that it did for me, which is similar to Tolkien, which is similar to Narnia, uh, those two both from a Christian worldview bring fantasy. So I'm, again, I'm trying to make sure you guys all know there's a, categorical difference between their rank, but there's even a categorical difference between Tolkien and, and Lewis. But anyway, I realize they come from a Christian worldview, Rowling's does not, but this, this part holds in all. The fellowship, a bond of friendship that carries you through all the dark chapters, all the good chapters, this bond of friendship, this loyalty, this unbreakable trust, mm is so compelling and also so needed in our world today, right? Yeah. This idea that mm. you can find a company yeah. of people, a tight company of people and travel through life yeah. together. Yeah. And, and in, in Tolkien way, that bond, that fellowship, it becomes as important as, you know, like we've talked about, as the goal, the mission itself, right? So even in, in the gospel journey, we are not unaware of how important the, the goal is, right? Mm. We got to take the gospel at the end of it. We're not unaware. It's a compelling goal. Right. But, but what Jesus does in finding that first band of followers and then, and then having his, those followers mimic that, the fellowship of being on journey together toward mm -hmm. that greater end is as yep. noble as the quest itself. Oh, I love it. If we complete the mission and lose the friendships, We've right. lost. We've, that's not making disciples. That's actually right. You know, right. right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Right. And, and I think of, uh, I love Ryan Hamby. And this kind of is my dream for Veritas and, and our church. And he calls, he says, Iowa City is the friendship capital of the world. <laughs> and I just, I, that's what I, that's truly what I yes. love for in life is yes. not even just you know, oh, this great successful church and right. like to me, success is is the friendships along Absolutely. the way. It's the the fellowship, and that's that's ultimately life with God. And it's fellowship. stretched and it's tested, yeah. And sometimes warm and exactly mm. what you need. And other times, it, it is the very mm. thing that is tested to the point of breaking that that it is the highest point of the tension of the story, wow. as opposed to the possibility of not being successful in the goal. Yeah, so I'm just wow. saying it's, it's such a vital part of the story. And I do believe deeply woven into the gospel story that we're mm. living in as well. well so. Some themes about love, sacrifice, friendship. I guess one of the objections that I heard 20 years ago mm -hmm. when people are saying, you know, Lord of the Rings was on the rise with the movies and Harry Potter was coming out. It's like people defending Lord of the Rings yeah. and throwing Harry Potter <laughs> under the bus. One of the I remember one of the critiques um, this editorialist was saying, well, you know, in Lord of the Rings, they're trying to destroy evil and power. In Harry Potter, they're trying to get power. And do you think that that's an accurate? No, not my reading of it. No, I, I, I wouldn't 
say that that's that that's accurate and and there's huge distinction so again i, I i'm not even trying to put them in parallel universes mm -hmm. categories different but but i would say no and i i think that um I don't know. Here, here's what I'd say. I would say if there's a parent listening that has just, like I was, dismissive of it because of whatever podcast you've listened to about it, read it for yourself. Hide it, you know, away so your children don't know you're doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, I would be unafraid for any Christian to read it. It doesn't, um, it doesn't glamorize dark witchcraft. It doesn't make an appeal to evil magic mm. at all wow. you're not going to be enticed into yeah. demonism yeah you know what i'm saying so but i think that's the and i get that's a legit I, right like i, I think my contention i think you're talking more to grandparents than parents because yeah right my Probably. generation and younger because i think they're it. all in on yeah i yeah, think yeah. they're <laughs> all in on harry potter like i maybe not maybe i know there's yeah. some probably some younger families that are but i do think that was probably it's probably true that your generation yeah, focus on the family telling us right whatever. right yeah. but but so again what i'd say is not even for parents and grandparents for the sake of the children yeah. i want to appeal to all christians to read fantasy mm. okay right, to this, read fiction this sets up what can i yeah, share yeah, a quote yeah. of of uh i i was telling you about this podcast that mm. impacted me and it was a if if any of you have not come across Read Aloud Revival, um, the podcast, especially young parents uh, who have little kids, um, the thing about parenting that I'm so grateful for, for my wife, that she has done a great job of this, is reading to our kids, mm -hmm. um, taking away the screens and sitting down, not just putting an audible book on, not, but actually sitting down as a parent and reading to your kids. It's funny, Al Mohler said, that is a way to you are hugging your children mm. when you sit down and read with them. But read That's aloud right. revival. Um, she does a podcast with Catherine Patterson, and Catherine Patterson wrote Bridge to Terabithia. And this is one of my favorite podcast episodes because they're talking about the power of fiction and the place of fiction. And I, I sent this to you, Jeff, earlier today. I'm like, you should listen to this. And so, so good. I'm gonna just play this three minute clip. Oh yeah, should yeah. I do it? I'll and do it. That's because great. it, it kind of captures some of what we're talking totally. about. And and to me, I find this compelling. So yeah. let me let me try to pull it up here. All right, let's see. Let's see if we can get this on here. Revise what we have written comes closest. By now I had some distance from the book. My heart had stopped pounding. My palms were dry. My head cool. My eye cooler. I was far enough away and come out singing. Okay. She's, let me set up the context here. Okay. She's talking about, this is Catherine Patterson talking about writing mm -hmm. Bridge to Terabithia. And she just finished the draft, got it in the mail. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's kind of reflecting on, on yeah, the story. Experience. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that experience. Being allowed to go back and revise what we have written comes closest. By now I had some distance from the book. My heart had stopped pounding. My palms were dry. My head cool. My eye cooler. I was far enough away from the facts to see the truth from which they sprang. I was now ready to write fiction. If the early drafts had been conceived in fear and grief, this revision was born in joy. In the mere rearrangement of words upon a page, I had passed through a valley of the shadow and come out singing. 
In fact, when I sent Virginia the revision, I wrote her that I was sure love was blind, for I had just mailed her a flawless manuscript. <laughs> My vision, you'll be glad to know, has since been restored. I no longer believe that Bridge to Terabithia is without flaws. But to this day, when a child asks me if it is true, I answer, trying not to tremble too conspicuously. Oh, I hope so. On 95, just before the Delaware line, there is a road sign I invariably look for. In the 14 years I've traveled that road, this one sign has been the high point of an otherwise monotonous superhighway. The sign reads, Northeast Rising Sun. For years, I had a fantasy that I would simply turn off the freeway at that point and drive until I found that Shangri-La, that Brigadoon of Maryland named by an ancient poet, Northeast Rising Sun. Then one day, as I was smiling at my sign, a horrible thought struck. Suppose there was no such place. Suppose there was no village nestled in the eastern hills answering to that wonderful name. I didn't want to know, but that ubiquitous left side of my brain decided to ferret out the truth. I heard myself asking my husband, quite against my will, if it was possible that Northeast Rising Sun was not actually the name of a town. He was driving and entirely missed the quavering tone, replying very matter-of-factly that he thought it wasn't. Again, I let it lie. After all, husbands aren't always right, even mine. But the demon of brutal realism refused to give up. It drove me at last to a large map of the state and forced me to look in the northeast corner. Alas, as I had suspected, it was so long to loathe to acknowledge there is no such place on the map as Northeast Rising Sun. There are, rather, two towns. Northeast, on the east side of 95, and Rising Sun on the west. My poetic signboard was a fiction. And fiction, though it may be true, is not the truth any more than a signpost is a place. But it can be a signpost. Fiction is not the gospel. But it can be a voice crying in the wilderness. And for the writer and the reader who know grace, it will not be a cry of despair, but a cry of hope. A voice crying in our wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's just so good. <laughs> it's beautiful. Fiction it's beautiful. as a sign. Yeah. It's not the truth itself. It's mm -hmm. not Jesus, but it points you. And it reminded me of yeah. Tolkien, really how he led Lewis to Christ yeah. was he's saying the gospel is the one true myth. It's the, right. it's the story that all stories point to. Right. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I love it. So love compelling, it. I think. Thoughts on, on just fiction and reading, yeah. and um, that's what you've been processing. So, yeah. uh, and, and I'm reading also like the Wing Feather series by Andrew Peterson. So, my mm -hmm. oldest granddaughter and I are reading those together. And once again, now he's a believer, you know, songwriter and all that. So, um, honestly, I mean, I don't know how much airtime this thing gets, but I wouldn't put it at the level of quality, you know, of some of these others, mm -hmm. but it is great fantasy literature and, and uh, great mm -hmm. characters and all that. So I'm just saying, find an author, find a series, find something mm -hmm. that's then can stir your imagination yep. and uh, let, yeah. let it go. Yep. I went back and read Bridge to Terabithia and there's tear stains. In oh, it. You know, it's just so, yeah. such a cool, a cool uh, story. Um, so, what I've been thinking about, um, I was gone for, for uh, uh, nine to 10 days out in California. We actually, um, we, we were going out on a snowboarding trip with my four boys. And, and uh, so we, we were going to drive to Denver. I looked at plane tickets. Overshot. Overshot yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yep. Got to Denver, you know, looked and 
plane tickets are only 60 bucks, you know, to California. My sister and brother-in-law and their family live in Ventura. And so we actually flew out there, spent a week there. My, so my parents were there um, at my sister's house and uh, spent some time with them, went surfing and enjoyed that time, mm. uh, hiking, surfing, all that. Uh, we were surfing one day and then the next, you know, snowboarding in Breckenridge. So it was, we had, a, we had a great trip. It was oh, fun. Yeah. But um, I guess uh, one of the things that I've thought about on that trip, I went and visited my sister's church. It's a Calvary Chapel in Oxnard and their pastor Lance. Uh, it was a cool story because uh, one of our guys, uh, Travis Newman had been listening to this uh, church history podcast and Austin Claver was telling me about it. And he's like, yeah, it's this, it's this guy, Lance. And I looked at, you know, I think it's Lance Ralston is his name. And uh, I'm like, that's my sister's pastor in California. And so I actually, at the after church on Sunday last week, I went up to him to just thank him for having a, an impact Sorry. on our young people here in Iowa. And, and uh, we started talking and I asked him, where do you think we're at in church history? Since that's an interest of yours. I mean, he said, I, I think you should read this book, um, Live Not By Lies, yeah. by Rod Dreher. So I, on the way home, I, I got on this podcast, listened to Al Mohler's, I think it's called, is it called Thinking in Public think or so, yeah. something like that? Yep. Uh, but he interviewed Rod Dreher back in uh, October. Yeah. So a few months ago, I was interviewing about his book and um, Live Not By Lies. And the interview was interesting because... Yeah. Um, you know, this, this pastor in California was, you know, with, with, I think all of the, the, um, with the George Floyd kind of Black Lives Matter, um, kind of, uh, movement, you know, and, and unrest in our, in our country. Um, and also with COVID, um, kind of California, the The divisiveness, the restrict, yeah, the restrictions that have come about Mm -hmm. churches getting shut down. Um, and fines for meeting and all those things. I I think that, um, yeah, it's really um, affected the church in a profound way. Um, And I think that, that being a Christian is, is you're more countercultural now and and figuring out how to navigate following Jesus when there's a pressure, there's winds of teaching blowing through the church. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this is Paul in Ephesians 4 where he says, he says, um, you know, that, that God gave us the church pastors, equippers, teachers to prepare God's people for works of service mm-hmm. um, so that we won't be infants, you know, blown here and there by all the winds of teaching mm-hmm. and the cunningness and craftiness of, of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head. And he feels like this is a moment where we as pastors need to speak truth and be right. courageous. Right. Even if it marginalizes us. Right. Even if it costs us everything. Yeah. And he felt like this book was important to yeah. read and understand where culture might be headed. Um, it was interesting listening to the interview with, with Al Mohler and Rod Dreher because I tend to be when I think about the future, I'm more optimistic yeah. than Rod Dreher. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, most of the world is more most optimistic. Of, than yes. But, but what but did you say about fair, Rod? Yeah. You, were, you were talking about, but there's watchmen yeah, yeah, yeah. that sit on the walls. What, what was in your mind when you yeah. thought about that? 
yeah, I do. I do think those those important thinkers. One, he's brilliant. Like he's not just some um, dark prophet trying to scare everybody. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there's certainly yeah. that in yeah. our culture, right? Mm-hmm. Just people, the sky is falling. No, he's uh, very well read, very well researched. And so as a watchman on the wall kind of a thing, his eyes are kind of peeled on the horizon to look for the enemy coming, right? Mm-hmm. And th- I think those people are important. We want to be back in the banquet hall, just enjoying life until yeah. the enemy's actually at the door. You right, know? Right. But then there are those guys who are just kind of peering and watching. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that it's really important for me to actually tune in to some of those kind of voices. Again, not the everything's falling, but those kind of voices every now and then, because it's a sobering thing for guys like me mm-hmm. who want to be a little bit dismissive of the pessimistic Mm-hmm. dark view of things um i one thought that i had actually after we started the conversation though is i was i'll bet it's especially hard for some of the calvary chapel pastors so the calvary chapel movement started from chuck smith down in newport beach i think uh orange county but among hippies and so forever the calvary chapel movement even though it's now many years since it's founding, probably the early 70s i don't know exactly mm-hmm. but um They've just been known for their optimism. They've been known for their just free, that hippie, mm. granola, loving you for who you are and where you're at. Yeah. And so to turn a Calvary Chapel leader into moments of pessimism or darkness, you got to do a hard turn. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, I respect that. That's not a Calvary Chapel uh, cadence. Mm. So I think, oh, Mm. something is real about his oh yeah you know what yeah. i'm saying and i and because i was that's, yeah. he's in a movement that's totally known for loving your neighbor and throwing the doors and evangelism what and, was beautiful about their church is the diversity yeah i mean man i was yes. a minority as a as a white person you know yeah. just sitting in that with with just totally i mean you had you had just all the, it felt like I was in a different country and it was beautiful as they uh, worshiped and, and it was a, a larger church. It's, they did it. it's a hallmark yeah. of, of Calvary chapels to be just boldly evangelistic, yeah. constantly was, winning people to Christ. So I just want to say that like, this isn't one of those kind of fortress fundamentalist yeah. fighting right. against culture kind of churches or movements yeah. or leaders yeah. or whatever. So and so yeah. it makes me kind of sad, you know right. what I mean? Right. Anyway. Well, and so for me, when I think about these watchmen in the wall saying, they're coming, they're coming, you know, and, and I, my thought is, so what? Right. <laughs> because we're not going to do anything different yeah. than we've already been doing, which is yeah. we're going to preach Jesus. Yeah. We're going to tell the world about Jesus. We're going to continue to gather as the church. Mm-hmm. The gates of hell will not overcome it. Right. No governor, no king or queen, right. no authority, no demon, no ruler, no principality. We're just right. going to preach the gospel right. to all nations, and then the end will come. Right. And to me, it's just that simple. And be so strong in the Lord. Yeah, when, you when say, that day of evil comes, we're still right. just gonna be strong in the Lord. Right. So the sky is falling, you know, Rome is collapsing. Yep. It to me, it's like, yeah, okay. So we'll just keep preaching the gospel. It doesn't yeah. change anything for us. Right. Yeah, we might have to get creative on how we do things, and um, and actually, that was his application. Mm-hmm. 
was, and it's funny because he has, he's like, now what's your view of end times? Mm. And I know where he's coming from on right. this. So I was hesitant to even say, I was like, <laughs> I'm 51% on mill. He's like, Oh, whoa, then you, you need to hear this. And so it was, he was great on, on, uh, their pre-mill pre-trib oh, very, and, yeah, very. and so he was, but he was saying their, their view, um, is that things are going to get, go from bad to worse. Yes. In the world. And then there'll be, and then there, the, yeah. An escape. An escape. Yep. But his point was that we need to prepare and equip mm-hmm. and make disciples who are leaders, who yes. are able to, if for some reason, even like COVID, mm-hmm. even if it's not a outward persecution, right. even if it's like a, a right. pestilence, a right. pandemic or whatever, that somehow disperses people um, to have equipped yes. people all over, yep. you know, to yes. prepare the church. Yep. I think he's, yeah, in that way, he doesn't. In fact, I, I find it so compelling. I am going to read, read it and just let him make his entire argument mm-hmm. and not just yeah. li- listen to his podcast. I, I do want to because I think those voices are important because I do appreciate that. It's church. Keep being the church. Mm-hmm. Don't just yep. uh, fortress in. Don't stop reaching your neighbor. Don't all of a sudden make all of your neighbors the enemy. Mm-hmm you know, yep. uh, to be afraid of, that's where those movements go wrong is when all of a sudden it creates an us and then that mm-hmm. binary thing you're talking about before. And suddenly I'm suspect of everybody that doesn't believe as I believe, teach as I mm-hmm. teach, or, or even embrace the gospel. The Jesus way is acknowledge all the above and love my neighbor as myself. Mm-hmm. My, my impulse as a Christian is go into that darkness mm-hmm. with the light and truth of the gospel. Right. And yeah. so, because yeah. I know that's yeah. kind of his, his end appeal, mm-hmm. yep. then bring the room darker. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. Uh, and probably again, in my glib, maybe not naive, but more optimism. I need, I need him to mm-hmm. not turn the light on, but maybe, dim the lights even more for yeah. me to, to yeah. really acknowledge what's going yeah. on in our world. We were talking earlier about um, how a lot of times people like personalities that have more of a pessimistic view. Right. Um, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in his book, Talking to Strangers. Mm-hmm. And his whole question is like, why do people like Bernie Madoff, the, the greatest Ponzi scheme in our country's history, or Jerry Sandusky, mm-hmm. Uh, sexual abuse right. uh, that, that goes unchecked. And he goes through all these scandals in our country and says, why did somebody not notice this sooner? Right. And the answer to the question is because we have a natural default to trust. Mm-hmm. We have a natural default to say, no, that can't be really happening. Right. And, and that's what allows us to actually live normal lives. Right. But the whistleblowers, like the guy, the, the accountant that uncovered the, or not, uh, the Bernie right. Madoff, scandal he was an accountant who was very suspicious he put together all this stuff and even in the way he he uncovered it he sent in this anonymous note because he was afraid for his life in the whole in the whole thing and so um people that that have that yeah suspicion suspicion. their default is suspicion they don't trust people it also makes it hard for them to function because they tend to become you know you uh, kind of get engulfed in it yeah, you. If, yeah, if you're suspicious about everybody, yes. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, it it so it's good to have those people. Yeah, 
that that can kind of see things. So anyway, I'm maybe we'll we'll get to the book and yeah. we'll report back and yeah. kind of see how. Of course, I asked Jake each. Um, I was telling him about this. He's like, "Oh yeah, I read that book." And of course. It, He's yeah. yeah, it's hilarious. Jake. <laughs> Maybe we'll get Jake on. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that, and he'll have more insights than the two of us combined. Yeah, yeah, we'll, you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I I uh, have a meeting that I need to jump into, but uh, it's fun to catch so up fun. with yeah with you guys and kind of talk through some of the things we're thinking about. Um, so. Hope you guys have a great week and uh, maybe find a good book to read. Yeah. All right. We'll see you.